How are you doing there? Just a quickie before we start. On the Apple podcast, why don't you double click on David McWilliams Plus? It's right there when you open the podcast. You get ad free, you unlock early access. Just double click and away you go. David McWilliams Plus, you get this pure and simple. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because rust-oleum's new custom spray five and one gives you control with five different spray patterns so you can tackle nooks crannies edges and curves without worrying about drips runs uneven coverage or anything else custom spray five and one only from rust-oleum understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. While Mac is still off gallivanting around the world, we're going to bring you a special episode with another great guest from Kilconomics, the colourful Hugh Henry. Now this chat was recorded before Kilconomics, but it's a fascinating chat where Mac and Hugh Get into the weeds about the nature of money, central banking, inflation, debt, investments, the whole shebang. So I think I'll just let them take it from here. Now, I am looking down the tube. I am looking at a Caribbean scene. I see blue skies. I see the waves behind me because I am in St. Bart's. Well, I'm not in St. Bart's. My actual guest, Hugh Henry, the asset capitalist, is in St. Bart's. Hugh came across my radar screen many, many years ago. He's running his own fund and very, very interesting take on the world. He now seems to have migrated even to sunnier climes. Hugh, how are you? Um, I'm very well. I mean, you can see palm trees. You can see the waves crashing on the beach. Why is it, David, that all I can see are dead people? <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. I, I have this affliction that um, I don't know why, but sudden, um, every now and again, I get these like kind of uh, I get curvature in the lenses of my glasses. And I feel as if I'm I'm getting snippets and glimpses of the future. And when I look, heavens, I was going to say 18 months ahead. But when I look um, well with well within that reach, when I look into next year, I, I'm, I'm full of fear and, for, and foreboding for the economic catastrophe which I can see unfolding. I feel there's just a profound misunderstanding about the monetary world. Yeah, I keep saying I can think of no more than five people who, who truly understand and comprehend not, not even just the complexities but the basics of money. And, and none of these people are engaged and working at either investment banks earning lots of money or at central banks earning less than lots of money or at hedge funds. Hedge funds, I mean, yeah, they, they always win. So, but none of them get money. So let's talk about money. So let's talk about money. Okay, so explain to me 
right? From where you're sitting, from where your 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 appreciation over years and years of investing, thinking about money, using it, deploying it, losing it, gaining it, all that good stuff. What do you think it is? What's the essence? Oh, wow. That's, yeah. Um, that's deep. <laughs> <laughs> so money for me is this invisible force, which just through great fortune and, and the grace of others, I've never had to actually think about how much money I have. I guess it's a bit like the definition of pornography that uh, we know it when we see it, so to speak. And and we yeah, know it's yeah, absent. Yeah, yeah. We, we know the absence of money and we know something's going wrong when it begins to impact on us. Well, you were saying like you were saying there's like four or five people you think really get it. What what are they seeing that nobody else has seen about banks, money, monetary policy, central banking, the way the global economy is set up right now? Well, what they're seeing is that central banking has lost its sovereignty. Uh, and there is no such thing as monetary national sovereignty. That's what I want to say. So let's have a go at that. I was on a thread the other week uh, discussing the, the three forms of money as I understood it. And I like to begin, I'm going to change the order. The, the paper that I read had one, two, and three. Let's go two, one, and three. Uh, number two was uh, the money that we kind of recognize, which is the money in the bank, uh, the money which is subject to the regulation of the central bank. Yeah. And then there's a sovereignty that comes with regulation and oversight. And then it's insured typically by the, the, the treasury to pr protect you against your, your own incompetence sometimes, it would seem. Now, that form of money represents a liability to the bank uh, which it seeks to balance by making loans, offsetting loans, so that it can yep. pay you, etc. And there was this huge event um, from almost 15 years ago, um, the effectively the bankruptcy of the global banking system continues to reverberate, and the consequences are the unstable hold of political power in our social democracies. But it's all related back then. So back then, like you said, you came across me because I was going up against you know, elitist politicians and Nobel economists and the like. And I was saying to them that through incompetence or otherwise or misunderstanding, that they had unleashed forces which were almost greater than their ability to respond. And I think that's what we see when when we see these shock departures of prime ministers, etc. So back to the question, money, money creation would be at the instigation of the commercial bank accepting those deposits and seeking to make offsetting uh, loans. And those loans cr create uh, the money. But going to the near-death experience from back then, the mojo of the banks has been in the descendancy, not the ascendancy. Sure. And so we have not seen anything in the, in the manner of plentiful monetary creation from that source of money. And that source of money, let's call that quasi-private and public. You know, public owing to the, uh, the strictures of the regulation and owing to the underwriting of the, of the commercial uh, credit risk by the Treasury. And of course, needing the impulse of private banking executives. So because that had lost its mojo, we then came to rely upon in terms of the communication of, of central bankers uh, on another form of money, which I'd call pure public money, pure public money. And that is this quantitative easing. 
Uh, yeah. you know, this is the the engagement in a transaction to to purchase assets, typically uh, treasury securities from the banks, and in return being granted bank reserves. And these bank reserves, so it's very it's very much latent generosity. It's kind of like your parents. You're a teenager. Parents are leaving town, and they're like, "I filled the garage up with crates of beer and some spirits." Exactly. Go and do Have your fun. thing. Yeah. Normally, I would I would wag my my finger at you and I say, "Don't you dare!" But you know what? I've changed. You know, have fun. It's on me. Except the banks are going, oh, or the teenagers going, oh, I've got such a darn hangover. I, the thought of doing it again and again, I, thank you, but I'm going to desist. And so this latent or pure form of public money is just sat there in considerable quantities. I mean, we talk about $9 trillion worth, but in some respects, it feels like laundromats. I mean, why would you go to Starbucks in search of a coffee? But let's hypothetically go there and, and you've ordered a, a flat white with oat milk and you offer them some bank reserves. I mean, they're going to kick you out. You're not going to walk out there with yeah. a coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a kind of laundromat, which is to say the hysteria about, you know, inflation and money printing et al., which is associated with the quantitative easing, I think, is grotesquely uh, misunderstood. And then we, we fall upon the third and final form of money. So if, if we just left the shores of pure public money, yeah. then let's let's discuss pure, unadulterated sex, drugs, rock and roll, cocaine, you name it, private crazy shit, which we find in these in the dark web, the matrix-like world of the euro-dollar system. And this system is unregulated. I mean, it's regulated by your reputation. It's regulated by your engagement with your peer group, uh, by the confidence that you instill in others. But having done so, you're kind of pretty much unconstrained in how much draw you can take from the pool of credit. And this is where we challenge sovereignty because we're outside the national borders of America. And let's just stay with regard to the US and not bother yeah. with, with other nations. You're outside the US and yet you're printing dollar bills and you're not regulated and it's uninsured and it's on you. Now, that thing's been growing. Yeah. There's been an appetite for expansion there. Now, money, private money, is a bit like your DNA. I didn't choose the, the moniker of sex, drugs, and rock and roll just by haphazard because uh, money wants to make babies. It wants to perpetuate itself, which is to yeah, say- Yeah, it wants to reproduce. It, You're absolutely right. And it wants to grow. Yeah. And it wants to live. And the, best, and the best way to grow and live if your money is to allocate into asset price inflation. That's how you kind of perpetuate yourself and you, get, and you get bigger and bigger. And so that pool of dark money has spent the last 15 years completely disinterested in financing you know, commercial inventories uh, sure. and any new factory expansion. And companies and, and smarts and innovation. So it's, it's an entirely speculative, crazy mental part of the system which is driving exactly. asset prices through the roof. And then we've lacked a 
crossover whereby so there, there's inflation and asset prices but it's not the kind of inflation that you feel if you're disenfranchised and you don't have assets yeah like yeah you, you don't get a you don't get a 10 percent wage increase because the s&p is up 10 percent. you know yeah no i'm with you and so the fear and the dead bodies is that i'm not a hundred percent sure that the majesty of the U.S. Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, is really on top of that offshore lending. So the wild bit of the game. The wild, the wild bit, of, bit the... of the game. And I'm not sure that the... I have, I have a hair in my throat when I say, you know, the inflation of this year, the elevation in consumer prices this year and the willingness to have higher and higher interest rates if your focus isn't completely on the asset price inflation and its sensitivity, so its sensitivity to interest rates, um, history always reveals after the event the creation of fictitious wealth, not sure. necessarily fraudulent. And I don't mean fraudulent at all. I mean misplaced optimism. And there's always this focus, and I'll, I'll certainly refer to it, to the debt to GDP and less reference to the assets to GDP. The, the fact that we have almost unprecedentedly high levels of debt to GDP is a function of having enormous assets uh, to, to GDP. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But we've gone through a period, if we look at the equity market, the rise in equity asset prices was not indiscriminate. When we were at the all-time highs, it was captured by uh, a tiny percentage of, of, of businesses. And I want to classify those businesses as being regarded as near to damn riskless businesses. And, and Apple's a great example of that. And I want to say that we lived in an, the environment where there was no interest in commercial lending, was a world where the creditor class of asset allocators weren't interested in buying stocks that had the vagaries of the economic cycle that they, they wanted just the pure risks are as close as can be. And so it becomes like the Mona Lisa and it's cut adrift from valuation parameters. Quite literally, we went through a period where riskless securities could have an infinite price target. They were priceless with regard to how much. In, in willing to pay more and more, effectively you're willing to accept lower and lower expected returns and you, and yep. you cross a threshold, rational threshold, where you're even willing to accept losses. But they're controlled, and initially they're modest losses. And it just reveals the trauma of the banking and creditor class that had this profound difficulty 15 years ago. And again, I want to come back and, and say, I don't think that was recognised or is recognized by our policymakers. And at the same time, I wanted to say, so the, the discriminant nature of the rise in, in equity prices, at the same time as Apple was a $3 trillion stock, you could find a litany of household name businesses, blue chips, that old, whoever, yeah. we don't even use that term anymore. I know, I know. Old. But, but you mean like companies that produce profits, they produce, they've got revenues, they've got customers, they've got employees, they've got market share. They're good yeah. companies. Grimy, grimy businesses, you know. But yeah, but they could be trading at prices that prevailed in the 1980s. Yep. Look at the British stock market. It trades at this. It trades below where it, it began this century. 
You know, that's, you know, the people like, yeah. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. And tell me what happens then, Hugh, what happens in a world where the inflation that's coming through in consumer prices and energy prices and food prices prompts the central banks to say, okay, we've got to get rid of this thing. And we probably have to get rid of this thing very, very quickly. And we feel we have to get rid of it quickly. So we're going to look and we're going to try and raise the Fed funds to 5%, maybe 6%. What happens in this world where these enormous, enormous positions have been taken in the dark web of finance, when the real world of finance decides we're going to reprice interest rates, not 20% higher, not 30% higher, but many multiples higher from where these people were used to. What's happened? Is this the darkness you see next year? This is the, this is, this is the darkness. So the, it's the crazy people that get the turns. Yeah. Most of the time you want to, turn the volume down on the crazy people, but there are just sometimes when they're, they're worth listening to, you know, like 15% of your time, you should be tuning into the crazies and 85%, God forbid, you know, the, the gray suit brigade. I know the guys. So we're, we're talking about one of those times and, and obviously you're hearing from the, 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 the crazy loony sect from St. Saint, Saint Bart's. So ever since the Federal Reserve started conducting quantitative easing exercises March 2009. There isn't a quarter that goes goes by without a particular financial publication trotting out sepia-coloured pictures of men in bowler hats with wheelbarrows and with German accents if it was a video. Yeah. And that has been profoundly wrong for the it's last 12 years. Profoundly and consistently wrong. If we give it long enough, we will be able to place it in the same hall of infamy as the kind of the Congdens of this world. And with Thatcherism, with the embrace of freedmen, there was a desire, hey, let's let's measure the money, you know, and let's control it. And that sounded kind of neat. And we're going to come back to that again, because that's like, hey, listen, if all of the money was just an imaginary wallet, and that wallet could buy goods and services, and if the money going into that wallet grew at the same pace as the goods and services, then we would have no inflation. Life would be kind of yep. cool. So let's kind of, let's conduct water measurement exercises of how much is going into the jug and how much is coming out. Turned out we couldn't do it. Why couldn't we do it? Because conventional money, 
Again, the one that's regulated by the central yeah, government, yeah, the, right? the one they see, the one the treasury underwrites, that's become less and less and less and less important. And it's all being conducted offshore. Why is it being conducted offshore? Because they're not regulated. Why is it being conducted offshore? Because they can be infinitely leveraged. They can make lots of money. So we have not experienced inflation in the political economies that we'd regard as the core, like European nations, the United sure. States and, and the like, whereas we have south of the border, like in, in the Latin states and, and elsewhere. And I and the differential and the reason that I would cite would be the sheer scale and magnitude of uh, publicly traded government bond markets, that they are just colossal, you know, the US is Coca-Cola, is Rolling Stones, it's contract law, things happen. Do they occasionally mess up and like invade Iraq, etc. And in Vietnam, they do. But, you know, put it all into the mix and they kind of like, you want to put your money there and their markets are enormous. Whereas if you were, um, I couldn't even tell you, what is sovereign government debt in Brazil to GDP? I mean, it's going to be like 50%. Less Russian sovereign debt to GDP, I think it's was tiny, it's 20, tiny, 20, 20, yeah, 20. That's the kind of nation that gets inflation or like lots of inflation, not the one where debt's four times GDP because there's a reflexivity. You no one waits for the damn bald rats to raise interest rates because we have the genius of literally thousands upon thousands of individual hedgers and speculators. And they have no choice. They have to take decisions on the future based on the information today. They're just tiny little cells that represent the best central bank ever, right? And they kind of get it really right most of the time. Yeah. And again, they're really saying the other guys, the bold rats, are getting it wrong. And that would elicit or legitimize some of my fear. So what I'm saying is when your debt is that magnitude, you know, we've already repriced the US uh, sovereign from 50 basis points and we got to about like 420 basis points. 18 months, boom. US mm -hmm. mortgages are already seven, boom. Right. Now, I call the sovereign bond markets in, in its magnitude versus GDP, so stock on stock. I regard that as a fire break. And then the other fire break that we have is freedom, that you have discretion. A household has discretion. Not, not over everything, but it has a form of discretion. And, and so what we find today is that there is no discretion in Europe with regard to uh, energy utility prices. You gotta, you just got to eat that. You just got to do it. Yeah, you got to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. And, and likewise with food, you know. So the second fire break is that with discretion, you cut back. Right. So... The inflation, again, if we go back to my mythical, the economy is simply just one wallet. We know, for instance, that in the UK, prices, they tell us, are rose 10% versus the previous year. Now, again, if there's not 10% more cash coming into that wallet, mm -hmm. you know, if, if only 6% came in, then it gets hard to support the 10. It forces discretionary cuts in your expenditure. And that's exactly what's going to happen. That that would be that would be my premise. So and then it would seem that the elevation has been caused by political factors, uh, the, the the political impulse, which was noble, but flawed, which was to send 
checks in America to household sectors at a point when uh, we were engulfed by the pandemic, when the service sector, which is by far the majority of the economy, was locked down. And, and therefore, yes, there was a, a moment of paying off credit cards and then boredom set in and with sure, absolutely being there, you know. And there was and, just and stuff so, to... Yeah, and so well, well, what I see is I see a market-based pricing mechanism that had to uh, reallocate or, or, or influence uh, the profound mismatch between demand and supply, and it, it raised prices. And that's it. And, and that's it. And But the, so the central banks and what they're doing for that notional wallet to grow, people across the spectrum have to be securing, if you will, a 10% rise in their earnings. That would put the potency that would maintain the persistency of these higher prices. Now, that's where we come across the class warfare, which is embedded in global trade. If you look at Japan, I mean, Japan is their most radically brutal in terms of wages and, and what they've done. Again, yeah. it's temporary workers have come to replace. There's profound insecurity on jobs. Trade is a class warfare. And then the central bank is, is at you now. So there you are, like, Life sucks. You're on opiates. You're working at Amazon. You, you got a bit. You scrapped a bit of cash. God knows how you did it. You got a mortgage, and now these damn bald rats are raising your mortgage rate. Not a, not a little, but like a lot. And they're threatening to do even more. That won't bring down the bloody price of of energy if Vladimir and Ukraine keep keep at it. You know. So what you're saying is the forces that are forcing down your average guy, you're talking about your average guy working in the States, okay? His mortgage is going through the roof. His real wages have fallen because his wallet isn't expanding. He's competing across the board with all sorts of issues he can't get his head around. I mean, and all we're worried about is a fall in the market. So you're saying, hold on, you should be worried about something much bigger. Yeah, yeah. Because they, so I, I'm not against, I, I, I absolutely stand by the decision in March 2009. You know, Citigroup was was the was JP bust, Morgan yeah. they had, and they, it was bankrupt. Yeah, I they had to do something. At, I was saying it was trading at nine. It wasn't trading at nine because it'd been a stock split. It was trading at like nothing. Yes, had, it was a binary system. It was it was going to reset to zero, right? And that would be mass mass adult unemployment in the twenties. Yeah, and, and profound suffering. I mean, there has been suffering, but it'd be unimaginable suffering. Um, so they had to do something. But it wasn't the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve was an agent on behalf of all U.S. citizens. And again, both the enfranchised and the non-enfranchised, i.e. those who owned assets and those who didn't own assets, right? And they've come back several times since. And if I'm the unenfranchised, I'm like, I mean, I keep getting it in the ass. I'm yeah. really yeah, fed yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And now, yeah, yeah, yeah. through no fault of my own, because of this damn asset price and whatever, you know, um, they're raising my damn more. The only thing was I could, I could like I had a house. And now they're really screwing me there as well. And I go to listen to folk and, you know, they keep telling me it's all right. I, I get the status quo. Well, the status quo are the, the gray men who made money with the rise and the rise and rise of asset price <laughs> inflation. Sadly, again, if we come back and, and close out, you know, what is going to happen? You know, we, we've had the UK has been a stagnant economy for a decade and I think needs some form of boost. And why not use tax? If you're going to have the absurdity of Brexit, do the Singapore model. I mean, do just do something, right? And 
it all gets blown apart because you've got pension funds leveraged up to the eyeballs, right? Who blow up on a tiny little kind of, uh, we're, we're doing fiscal expansion and fiscal expansion is going to increase inflation. It's going to have to make the central bank raise. It's all looney tunes. So the system's going to blow. I, I actually believe that inflation is a psychological force, that the monetary phenomenon is well gated by the fire breaks that I, I alluded to. But what it can't resist is when citizens say, I hate you. That's what I get concerned about. Because at that point, contract law goes out the window and, and we lose that. So the loss of social cohesion is a loss in, in the contract law. And But, you know, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. This is Hugh Eri. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Now, just before you go, we're delighted to bring you a small international segment advertising Santander UK on their new solution, Santander Navigator. This new portal helps make international growth simpler. So if you think that doing business abroad is a hassle, using Santander Navigator will show you how you can save both time and money as you grow. Now, for today's segment, we're joined by John Carroll, the head of international for Santander UK, and also the newly appointed chair of the Centre for Digital Trade and Innovation. Now, John, tell us, how do small companies who are kind of doing well locally, how do they actually break out and begin to trade internationally? The first thing is they, they should. If there is demand, they should. We consistently see those that trade internationally, they, they grow much faster. They're more resilient during bad economic times, which may be, may be coming. But also, they're more likely to innovate and do things differently. But there's a, there's a few things they need to be really, really careful of. The first and most important is follow where demand is. Move on from all the geopolitical stuff for the last few years. We've seen companies getting into Polish e-commerce websites selling their e-scooters. Cocktails in a can companies are into, are into uh, regional US restaurants selling their cocktails in a can. And we're also looking at you know, gourmet cake companies getting into, into Dubai. The crucial thing is to follow where there is demand. However, there also will be obstacles you need to be really, really clear about. What are those obstacles? So the, the, the first thing is you need to actually get a trusted buyer and seller. So one of the things we're helping with, for example, is to introduce you to the key distributors of, of gourmet cakes in Dubai or the Polish e-commerce website. We, we're actually breaking that trusted connection barrier, which is much bigger for a company getting overseas than it is in terms sure. of the local market. The second one really is to understand the local regulations and quirks. So obviously Brexit's caused more of that, but it's around the world. Our companies tell us it's just as difficult for local regulations in China and India as it is in, in Europe as well. So you need to understand what those local regulations are, but they can be overcome. It can be overcome and on the platform. We're trying to tell, give, essentially give everyone a checklist of how to overcome those issues and link them to suppliers who can help them. And then the other one is, is particularly those who are actually shipping things, is the cost of logistics. You know, in some routes, it's gone up four or five times over the last few years, like massively. But also for certain companies, they need to get three or four quotes to work out which is the right supplier for them. And so what we're trying to do as well is to actually say, look, online, we've got an aggregator. It will tell you the, the three best quotes, what's the most sustainable, what's the cheapest, and how you can get it there in, in the best possible time. So those, those are the three biggies. Underpinned by all that is a skill set issue. 
So you know Leeds, you know Birmingham, right? But you don't know how to get into Poland and Japan. So the platform is really designed to try and help companies almost, it's almost like an additional resource in the company to help them know the local quirks and aspects of trading internationally in all those very specific different markets. Fascinating stuff. And I thought the thing is, John, as we go into these dodgy times, they are going to, it looks really dodgy out there. Geopolitics, the key word, finance, everything looks, and it looks as if you're going, we're moving from one era to another. And that's always a very strange tipping point. And clearly, you know, companies are going to have to try and break out of their markets. To what extent is this almost like a hand-holding exercise? It, it is a hand-holding, and, and, it's, and it's very much personalised what's required because there is so much information out there, but you just go on and you go online and saying, you know, I want to go internationally. What we're trying to do is to personalise it, a bit like a Netflix-type platform, where it's saying, okay, I, I am the scooter company, I'm the gourmet cake company, what is my journey into Poland, which is very different to Japan, very different to Dubai, and then linking you to trusted providers of services all the way through to make sure you have a really successful and profitable international trading journey. Do you have one of these hand-holding things for our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> John, it's lovely to talk to you. Take care, man. That's John Carroll. Talk to Thanks, you soon, Thanks so much, John, for joining us, and thanks to Santander for partnering with us on the Dave McQueen's podcast. Whether you're new to exporting or just looking to expand your business internationally, check out Santander Navigator and request a demo at santandernavigator.co.uk. Subscription fees apply. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.